and welcome back to the Raw Hockey Periodic Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Lipsky Sauter, your host. If this is your first time listening to Raw Hockey, welcome. Getting ready for the new Panther season. It's a two-part episode, so to speak. Two guests on the show to help us preview the season. First up, Greg Wyshynski of ESPN, of course. You've heard him on our show before. You've heard him everywhere. We're going to have him on to talk a little bit about the Panthers and the start of the regular season and more. And we have Colby Guy of Florida Hockey now. One of George Rich's friends, one of our friends, to get in depth on Panthers lineups, what he's seen from Paul Maurice, and so much more. So stay tuned for this two-part show to get you set for the regular season. Greg is up first. As promised, we did it last year, and we're doing it again this year because why not re-rack something that was awesome and fun? Greg Wyshynski of ESPN joining us on Why Hockey. Start season. Greg, I would spend about 20 minutes talking about how the Mets make us sad, but I don't want to do that to the people who are listening to the show who want to hear about other things. I just like that you used re-rack. Like, it feels like we're about to have a, a Jim Rome-type show. It's very exciting. <laughs> I, if I ever wanted to do something in my life in sports media, it's impersonate Jim Rome. No, it's not. <laughs> We'll take we'll take a stab at the NHL season signed oh. Orenthal wrinkles oh. up paper. God. That's the, that was that was Jim Room's bit for like twenty five years. I know. Well, what's really funny is I'm watching the Champions League on CBS, which is preempted Jim Room's show. It's beautiful. We've we've come so far as a society. <laughs> it's great. It it is awesome. I cannot tell you how funny that is now that I think about it. Anyway, yeah. let's get to the hockey as opposed to talking about sports talk radio hosts that I don't like. Uh, last year, we had you on. We talked about the Panthers, and my predictions turned out to be fairly on. I thought they could outscore their goaltending problems. I thought they'd be good. Obviously, last season was special in one way or another. And now everyone knows what we think at Y Hockey about this team and the wild offseason that they had. But I want to hear what you think, because not often you see teams like the Panthers in a position to just make bold move after bold move, and you go, Hey, we're happy to see that, but how does it work in practice? Yeah, and I mean, it's going to work one of two ways. It's either the thing that GM Bill Zito seems to be chasing, which is to create the best postseason version of his team, actualizes, or the Panthers are the Eastern Conference version of the Vegas Golden Knights, wherein they tinker and tinker and tinker until they're unrecognizable, like L.A. plastic surgery. <laughs> Right. So like that's that's the question I think is facing the Panthers um, from where I sit. I, I think the Matthew Kachuk acquisition will ultimately pay dividends, um, especially in the postseason, because I, I do believe that um, there was an inherent problem with this team last year that was exposed vis-a-vis not maybe having the types of players that can score the types of goals that you need when the uh, plague tightens up when there's less room out there, when there's more liberties taken, that type of thing. And I, and I think Matthew Kachuk satisfies that. Um, where I wonder about the, the team this season is in two categories. One is goaltending, because like you said, they outscored their goaltending last year. Um, I, I, I am concerned <laughs> about Bob this year. I'm concerned what Spencer Knight becomes. Um, I th- want to believe in both cases they'll be fine. But there is a certain caveat that you have to give to this team because of the state of the goaltending. And the other thing is that I, I feel like 
there was a perfect storm of things that happened for the Panthers last season. Um, they were an offensive team thriving in the single best offensive season across the league that we've seen since the mid 1990s. I think there's a lot of reasons why that happened. I think one of them is the COVID absences and the fact that we had more goaltenders play in the league last year than we ever had before. Those conditions will not repeat. Um, I think the chaos of play of last season played into the Panthers' favor. 11 games in which they won after trailing after two periods. I mean, uh, that's not a, a normal thing, uh, even if your team is as, a, as offensively gifted as the, as the Panthers were. And they beat the hell out of some really bad teams in an unbalanced Eastern Conference that I think is going to be a lot more balanced this year. And then the last thing that has to be concerned about them is Paul Maurice, um, because this was Joel Quenville's team last year at the beginning of the year, and then he resigned, and it was still his team because they played his system. And now you're going to have a guy who thinks he's the smartest guy in the room coming in to probably change some things. And what does that add up to? I think they dropped 20 points. I think they go to about 102 points. They still make the playoffs, but by no means are they a steamroller like they were last year. You and I agree. Almost 100%. My biggest concern is, and the, the Paul Maurice discussion is interesting. We've talked about it a lot, and we're going to continue to. There's an assumption if you go on hockey Twitter that Paul Maurice is the worst coach in the history of hockey. And he's automatically going to take you know, a team that was really good and make it bad to the hockey Twitter degree, which you can't tell how much of that is hyperbole or not. To me, I think the question about Paul Maurice is, is he's not going to make this team worse. They were going to be not anywhere near as good as they were last year for all the reasons you say. And I think some of what Bill Zito did in making the moves he made was saying last season was a fluke in more ways than one. We need to be sustainable in a different kind of way this year. Right. Because right. they're still extremely talented. But to me, it's the matter of can Paul Maurice do the thing he says he's going to do, which is make this team more playoff ready and do the things that they need to do to win in the playoffs. And that starts in the regular season. And I have no evidence right now to suggest that. That doesn't mean he can't, but I don't know what that looks like. And until I see it, I have to see it before I can say confidently that they're going to. The biggest concern for me, I don't even think it's goaltending. It's the blue line. It's really yeah. thin now. And I always talk about the upside of players. They don't have a lot of upside there at the moment as we are recording this. Maybe it comes at the trade deadline. Maybe it comes with somebody who's young. But I think a lot of what the Panthers' success has been the last couple of years is that they've gotten more out of players you didn't think you could necessarily get that much out of. And that was their secret sauce with all of the players that Forsling, Verhage, all of them. And I don't know whether, not just whether the pulmonary system takes something away from that, but also whether the players are capable of doing that. And I specifically look at the blue line for that because I don't think they're getting more out of Brandon Montour than they've already had. I don't think they're getting more out of Radko Gudis than they already had. And what is the ceiling of some of those younger guys? Though that's to me the biggest question. I still think this team's extremely good because you still have Barkoff and Kachuk and all these other guys. And I don't think the goaltending is that much of an issue because if you told me they were going to get swept in the playoffs last year by anybody, I would have been like, the goaltending went completely to hell and it didn't. It's just a matter right now of can they keep the upside of the teams of the last couple of years while adding those details. And that's a tough tightrope to walk. Right. And that's what, that's why I still think they're a playoff team. I mean, they're, they're loaded for bear. They've got a, a ton of talent up front. Um, the goaltending is going to be good enough. And, you know, uh, uh, assuming Ekblad doesn't lose his way without Uyghur there, I think they're going to be fine. Um, but to me, when you look at this team and you think about all the things they're trying to accomplish, 
it it smacks of a team that's ready to take a little bit of a of a step back before taking a leap forward. I mean, not only in trying to figure out the quote unquote right way to play, which if you follow the track of the Tampa Bay Lightning and John Cooper, isn't a one season fix. Like you've got to kind of like work at it and gradually figure out through playoff losses, through regular season, um, you know, testing what works and what doesn't and what is the right way you need to play. Um, and then the other thing too, is I, I think with, you know, Hornquist coming off the cap after the season, they've got a few openings coming up on their blue line as well, including Gudis, like they're going to be able to kind of do some things to make the team a little bit more well-rounded and better. I think in the off season, you mentioned the trade deadline, like I, uh, you want to trade that second round pick? Well, I mean, they can bet on their own own at this point. And I wouldn't bet against them in finding somebody who's like, who you've never heard of and then turning them into somebody competent. Sure. They've they've proven that they can do that. So it doesn't worry me so much, but but, but here's the problem though. And you, and you hit on it, which is that they took a massive swing last year and then found out they weren't ready to take the swing. And so you can't undo what's been done. You can't undo the Giroux trade. You can't undo the, in hindsight, idiotic decision to trade a first round pick for Ben Sherratt, which is now going to be a first round pick in 2023 from Montreal, which if God forbid the Florida Panthers miss the playoffs means they don't have a chip in the Connor Bedard Derby. So that's, that's the reality of that, that trade. (laughs) Um, It's funny how I don't even think that he was that bad. It's just, it's weird how that works. But I also think when you're that good and you have that level of regular season, you also can't afford to not go all in. You know, it's, it's the paradox of a season like that where it's so good that you can't not go all in. And then you look at it in the playoffs and you go, they get tampered and you're like, well, what? And I go, what are you supposed to do? Are you supposed to not trade for anybody when you have all those chips? No, no. It's a weird, weird paradox. You can definitely trade for somebody, but but I don't think it necess- necessarily needs to be a first round pick for Ben Sherratt. No, 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 no. If you no, want to no. say, I, you want to say right he was fine, that. I mean, you could you could say he's fine, but I don't think he was fine. I don't think he was a difference maker at all for that team. I don't think, and they I, certainly I, anti-ed up. In my view, him. I don't think he was bad enough to sink a team. I just don't think he elevated them. And, right. That's and but that's, that's what, you don't you don't trade a first round pick for for a zero sum game. <laughs> like that's what they did. And so, and especially a, a, a draft pick that conditionally could end up in this draft, which again, if they miss the playoffs and they don't have a first round pick to show for it, um, as, as, as small as those percentages would be, that's disastrous considering the quality of this draft. You're um, absolutely, you're right. But I also think it, it, it's just, it's a funny way to, to go about it because the Panthers of old used to never take risks and then now sure. they do. And sometimes they backfire and that's just, some of the things sometimes you have to do when you're a team like that. But I, I agree with you in the end. But that- the other thing too, I'm sorry, but the other thing too about like identifying the problems with your team in the postseason. And, and, and again, like you watched this team last year, two things stuck out for you. One is they needed a new coach because Andrew Burnett wasn't ready to make the adjustments necessary in the playoffs to make his team a success. He got out coached in a pretty spectacular way um, throughout the playoffs. And then two is that they might not have been built the right way vis-a-vis succeeding in the postseason when it comes to to off to offense and 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 scoring the right goals and playing the right way and and doing the the playoff worthy things you have to do to win um and so like i get it but there's also the chance that 
that trying to change the, the DNA or personality of a team can go too far. I think back to those Capitals teams after it became apparent that they didn't really know what to do in the playoffs under Bruce Boudreau. And then like for the next couple of years, they were wandering the wilderness trying to become something different under Dale Hunter, you know, or, or become something different under Adam Oates before Barry Trotz came in and they, and it all clicked again. So there's always the danger of, of trying to read too much into a playoff defeat um, and the manner in which you lose. But that being said, I mean, I, I, I do think that, that they made the right decision and, and moving on from brunette from the way that things went in the postseason for him i thought that now in hindsight that capital series is really really elucidating because they got badly outcoached and if the capitals weren't the capitals and thin and have shaky goaltending they win that series if it was pittsburgh who they played pittsburgh beats them i, yeah. I fully believe that uh, the other they thing beat, that's <laughs> but do they beat him with louis Domingue is the question i mean with <laughs> goaltending you can't predict how a series is going to go yeah in a way yeah. like that but i mean if the penguins had any semblance of health they win that series against the rangers and everything looks different but very much so. the, the, the point is that they got so badly outcoached by la violette and then they just willed it and then it, against tampa you can't do the, the only goal being scored in that game for being pat maroon i think says a whole heck of a lot and my joke about the Panthers always wanting to imitate the lightning. Now life is imitating art in this, in this way. I think also the point of Andrew Burnett is, is true. And I was advocating keeping him, but the thing with, with Bill Zito was recognizing that like, we just, we can't have him learn on the job at this point because we, we need to do better immediately. And that's mm -hmm. the changeover from a team that went from making the playoffs is good to, we need to do more than that. And our fans expect more than that. And that's happened not quickly, but it happens gradually. And if you don't pay attention to it closely, you don't notice it. And that's a big yeah. different thing for the Panthers. And the other thing is the last time they lost in the playoffs, pretty embarrassingly in 2016. Uh, well, you know what happened after that? Let's not rehash that. <laughs> you know, all of us know what happened after that. Um, yeah. And just overall in the league, this is going to be a very interesting season, not just because of, you know, the prize at the end of the rainbow, if you're really bad, but also just this group of teams that I find they're hard to really break down because in the East, you know, somebody out of the eight's going to miss the playoffs that made it last year. And yet you can't really tell who it's going to be because I can't make a convincing argument for really anybody. And then in the West, you've got teams that I just wonder what that actually looks like in practice. So is there any one team that you're cued in on this season for whatever reason up or down that you're fascinated by and you're fascinated by because of what it might say, not just about a team, but about the specific trajectory of this season. Well, I'll, I'll just stick in the East. I mean, the only team that I have leaving the playoff picture is the capitals and I have them leaving in favor of the devils. And, and that's simply because I think the devils are going to level up in a really significant way this year. If a couple of conditions are met um, their power play was atrocious last year and and cost them games and they fired mark recce and bought in uh someone named andrew brunette to coach the power play who, it's really funny I how i <laughs> joked about how i didn't like andrew brunette's power plays for a while during his his tenure in florida was weird i mean it worked out in the end but i it, think so, he's gonna I mean, be for, great for the devils i do percentage wise it definitely worked out in the end i mean any anything above what they did last year is going to be okay and um and, and I think that he's he's going to get that unit playing a little bit better. They've got all the tools that they need to make that unit better. The, the second thing is health. Um, they need to get at least 70 games out of Jack Hughes. They probably need to get 80 games out of Nico Heischer. 
they can't afford to lose Dougie Hamilton for two months. Like if they can get some health uh, this year that they've not gotten in previous seasons, then they're going to be in good shape. And then the final thing is, is goaltending. And, you know, they've tried for two consecutive off seasons to find a, a solution to tandem with Mackenzie Blackwood, Corey Crawford retired. Jonathan Bernier played like 10 games before he went under the knife. And now they're trying with Vitek Vanacek, who I think is a completely average goalie, but that's kind of like all they need is someone who can play average and get a save and give Blackwood a break uh, so he can kind of find his game. So if those three conditions are met, I think they take off this year. And so when I say the Capitals miss, I don't mean in the sense that they're going to all of a sudden be a disaster. I think they're going to be a really good team that maybe just doesn't have the point total to move ahead of the Hurricanes, the Penguins, the Rangers, or the Devils in front of them. I'm not the biggest Darcy Kemper guy. I don't think that's a cure-all for, for all their, their goaltending woes. And I also think Father Time has stalked the Capitals in a way that it hasn't, or he hasn't, the Bruins and the Penguins quite yet. You look at TJ Oshie's numbers from last year. You think about Nick Backstrom, who may or may not play this season. Like, there's some deleterious things that have happened to that lineup that make me worried for them, too. So, I have the Devils in and the Capitals out is really the only major change in the East. I think it's the Islanders in terms of me, because like if what happened last year was a fluke, because there could be lots of reasons why it was a fluke. If it's not a fluke, then what do you do? And that's a huge question. Like those are existential questions for the Islanders if last year is not a fluke. Here's the the problem with the Islanders. We, We can look at last year and say it was a fluke, or we can look at the two years in pandemic seasons, one in a bubble and then one in a shortened season in which they made the conference final and say those actually were the flukes, <laughs> right? Like, like it's, you can, it's, you... it's one of them is a fluke. And the right. answer to that question is concerning for the Islanders, depending on what right. the answer is. So my mistake last year was um, thinking that the, that the Islanders pandemic seasons were not the fluke and assuming that the defensive style that they played and the veteran group that they had would be able to soldier through all of the weirdness that was going to happen this year. Their road trip to start the season, the COVID absences we knew would eventually start to haunt the year. Like I thought they would be kind of geared towards doing that because they had done it in two previous seasons and instead they had no answer for it. The, the wheels fell off. Um, so then Lou Lamarillo did what he always used to do with the devils in those years between cup wins when they wouldn't be good, which is that he doubled down on a veteran aging roster. And the only major change he made was firing the coach. And I've seen that story. I've seen this movie before, man. Like I've been, I was in the back of the theater as like a 20 a year old watching this movie when I was, you know, as, as a devil's fan. And uh, I was really stunned that they didn't do more, but he falls in love with his groups and he, he thinks sometimes the only thing you need is a new voice. If he's right, he's right. But I don't think he's right. And I think they missed the playoffs. The team in the West I want to talk about. And again, I've, I've talked about this team a bit on this show and why I really like them. It, it's the Kings. I think that people are underestimating that this, they could be pretty good. And I've said that I think that they might be the best challenger for Colorado in the West. They might not be. It might be Calgary, which would be annoying, at least somewhat. Uh, it could be Edmonton. But I just I think people aren't as high on the Kings as I think they, they really could be because they overachieved last year, but you know that they're going to have more health this year. And if, and when they are what we think they are, they have all the ammo at the trade deadline to do basically whatever they want. 
And yeah, they I think- can set the terms of that in a way that very few other teams can. And that, to me, is why I think they are a, a big threat. I'm not just saying this because I'm friends with Igor Larion at the second who knows people at the Kings. I'm not just saying that. <laughs> in case people are wondering. But I, I think that team's got huge potential. And the way they played last year felt very, very much sustainable to me. And now they have more scoring and the young players that are good have had a more and more year and a playoff experience where they almost beat Edmonton. They were right there until the end. And I think that this is the kind of team that is possibly going to take a step up like the Kings of a decade ago did. It's, it's possible. And the Fiala move for them in the, in the off season was a real good one. It, it kind of resets their lineup in an interesting way, allowing, um, I guess probably most likely Arvidsson, I guess it is to drop down a line. Um, they're going to be real good. I, I, you know, they did, they did a lot of that stuff last year towards the end without Dowdy too, which is, which is fascinating because I thought he had a really strong start to a season before his injury. The only thing that gives me pause with them is the goaltending. Like Jonathan quick had the quick assance last year. He played well enough to get them into the playoffs. Um, he, then he played, you know, his usual playoff self in the playoffs. He was incredible in some of those games. Um, but his underlying numbers do not tell you that he was all that good in the regular season. And so their success to me comes down to whether or not Cal Peterson, who they handed a multi-year contract to that starts the season, but they gave it to him before last season can kind of find the thread again, because he lost it last year. He wasn't good. Quick had to really carry the load for them. So if, if Peterson's better then I agree, I think they, they have a lot of upward trajectory in that conference and then that division, but if he's not, um, then, then maybe they have to kind of rethink things after the season. Cause I, I do believe this is quick's last season on his contract. So they probably would be doing it anyway. I still think they might be a year away from, from really kind of like putting the pedal down and, and making their way to a cup. I think that they've got a chance an outside chance this year, or maybe it's just because I think the abs are a machine and it doesn't matter what anybody else does. Or maybe it's me denying that Calgary could win with two former Panthers who I'm very much attached to. Well, two more questions before we leave. I have to ask because, Mike course, you know that on Why Hockey, we do talk about the Flyers. At what point do they admit this year that it's time to just go all in and tank? Because they need to do it, and maybe they will now that they have the injuries. But at what point do they do that? Do they well, just they hire the white flag? They won't because they, they hired the, the wrong guy for that. Like, John Tortorella does not have it in his nature to tank. John Tortorella is going to coach that team to be competitive and a hard out. And the reason that they won't succeed is because the lineup stinks and, and they're, they're a team built around the existence of Ryan Ellis on their blue line and the health, the health of Sean Couturier up front. And they have neither to start the season and may not have either for the majority of the season. And if Couturier can't get healthy. Um, so the writings on the wall for the flyers to not be good, but it won't be because they will fold up the tents and tank. Like it's, they got the wrong coach for that. Well, they thought that they would be good. And then all the injuries came around and then reality hit them. So I just, my theory on that is just at some point, reality is going to hit them, but well, I don't but, know. Yeah, maybe, but, they, maybe they but, operate in a world where reality doesn't matter. Reality, reality means that Chuck Fletcher loses his job. And so he's going to do the things that he can do to survive for another season. Then hope. That, I, I also wonder you know, whether the injuries the prevent that from happening. They can use it as an excuse. It could, it could. I mean, like he, he traded for a guy that can't play. Now you either hold that against the GM or you just say, boy, that's rotten luck. Well, I mean, 
it turns out that two of the pieces in that trade can't play. Yes, that's true. Funny how that works. And the final thing I'm going to ask you about uh, before we let you go, we could have you on here forever, but uh, I, I guess I'd ask about Maryland football being good and how much fun that is, but we can't do that because they'll lose Purdue this weekend. What about you heading down to Sunrise for the All-Star game? What are you most excited about for that? Oh, that's an easy one. I'm most excited for all of the Canadian writers that constantly bemoan the existence of teams like the Florida Panthers, who don't necessarily sell out every night like a team in Canada does, overpraising the market because now they can sit by the pool. It <laughs> happened. Uh, it happened during the draft, right? That that was when we were down there, right? Yeah, the draft absolutely. Years ago. It was it was remarkable to see all those pasty skinned bastards walking around the pool, looking out at the ocean and marveling at the existence of the Florida Panthers. The same people who for the entirety of my life as a professional writer were saying that the market doesn't deserve a team because they used to give away uh, tickets to people that had a valid driver's license. And in here they are being like, why don't they just hold the draft here every year kind of thing. And it'll be the same thing with the all-star game where these guys love the time of their lives be hitting South Beach. They'll be doing all the things. Well, and, and they'll all be driving the same... an hour to hit South Beach. I can be, warn them of, of that. But they will. You know they will. They, they don't have a South Beach in Saskatoon. So it'll be the same thing that we had during the draft, which is a bunch of people that bemoan the existence of the Florida Panthers and call them a joke, uh, praising uh, outwardly the existence of the franchise and, and hoping for uh, them to make the Stanley Cup final so they can come back and, and sunbathe in June. Well, they're hoping that the Leafs play the Panthers in the playoffs then. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that I thought it was happen. really funny last year if that happened because then you have the two playoff droughts going against one another and one had to lose, but it didn't. Yeah. They got the other, they got the other Florida team. I, I was just yep. hoping that somebody was going to, you know, create an event where they can involve the Sawgrass Mills Mall in some way because there's nothing more sunlight <laughs> than that. You have to do it. Well, we're gonna have I was events talk- in Fort Lauderdale and all of that, and I'm just thinking you're like, why can't we have a find your way out of Sawgrass and find where you parked your car game? Yeah. Well, we <laughs> talked. We talked to. Uh, I talked to Steve Mayer, the uh, NHL's big, you know, big brain, uh, how to make events guy, and you know, we were talking about all the things they have planned on the beach for this thing. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Like they're they're clearly in a in a mode with the All Star Game where they are willing to try different and cool things and do it outdoors. Um, it's, it's fun. It's, it's going to be super cool. Jeff Merrick said they were going to do something with alligators. Actual yeah, live I think so. They're, they're also going to do something on the water in the ocean too, from what I, I gather. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to be tons of fun. I'm, I'm very interested to see what that looks like as, as somebody who has, I'm not there now, but been there enough and all of us know. I'm just interested to see how they make it work and how much they dance around the fact that this isn't actually Miami. It's somewhere completely different, but again, it's all, it's all a funny world. Greg, again, everybody knows where you can find you, but plug yourself anyway. <laughs> uh, you can find me on ESPN.com. It's where all my writing is. Uh, my show, the drop with Arda Ocal comes back on ESPN plus on the, the 11th the opening night of the season and then is going to be actually uh, coming at you weekly um, in different forms this season, which is exciting stuff for me and him. And then if you want to hear some non-hockey stuff and read some non-hockey stuff, it's uh, patreon.com slash puck soup, all one word. Uh, I do a bunch of different podcasts there, including Mise Pod, which is a food TV podcast. 
and um, also some stuff with the boys, uh, Down Goes Ground and Lambert, who do Puck Soup in my absence. I do uh, miss it, also, I have to say. I do miss it. Well, I, I miss it too. I, I wish that I could do it, but uh, policies are policies. I know. And, um, it's a bummer, Damn but it, I will Nick, be back on. Why are you doing this to us? Anyway. I will be back on with Merrick, though, on, on Wednesdays this year on his um, national uh, Canadian radio show. That the plan is, was to uh, have Jeff on this show with you in a different interview, but it didn't work out. So, well, he's he's very busy. Oh, uh, I know. <laughs> talking to his new husband uh, a lot on the weekly basis. So, I mean, um, I, I get I get the lucky chance to text him every now and again and ask what's going on. And if I get a response, I feel honored. Well, he's 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 a, he's a delightful man. And he's I an insider I'm, man. I'm, insider man. I'm now. very I'm very very happy that he and I can continue uh, to uh, do podcast things together. It's nostalgia um, for on, the 2010s. I didn't think it would come around so soon. Well, and you know, it's also cool, like for you and for others, that like when we hang out or or do the show, that we just get this flood of people talking about how important MVSW was to them, and and it, we reciprocated it. Like it was super important to us too. So we're just really happy to be able to continue to do stuff. I'm not doing the flood of podcasts. I'm doing if it's not for that show. But anyway, <laughs> it's true though. It's true. Anyway, again, Rich, great to have you on. Can't wait to hear more from you throughout the season. Appreciate you hopping on again. My pleasure, Nick. As promised, part two of this show featuring first-time guest Colby Guy. I mean, I have to be honest to David and George, who we love. We've talked to them too much. It's time to talk to somebody new. Hi, Colby. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing, man? I'm all right. Uh, I'm recording this as I begin fasting for the Jewish holidays, so you got me at the right time. So I'm not angry yet that I'm fasting. That will be tomorrow as I record this. Uh, otherwise, I think we're doing all right. It is uh, hockey season starting. That's good. That's definitely good, man. I, I'm excited for it. I'm not, I don't have to think about the Mets. For at least about 30 minutes. That's good because they make me mad. I don't have to think about soccer for 30 minutes because that also makes me mad. So thinking about the Panthers is not making me mad yet. So We're both on the same boat here. I'm also a Mets guy. And depending on what team you like in soccer, I think we're also on the same boat. Uh, People know if you listen to Why Hockey, what soccer team I like. So you can figure out why I'm not in a good mood. But anyway. I saw saw Tottenham on your Twitter page. Is that your team? Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, that's me too. How did we, how did this happen? How did we both get uh, tied up in this in this troika of suffering? Anyway, we shouldn't continue to do this to people because they are they're here to listen to Panthers talk. Uh, but yes, no. If you'd like to hear about more Mets suffering and uh, Tottenham suffering, then go to our Twitter timelines before Elon Musk deletes it. <laughs> anyway, um, let's let's talk about this team and let's. Get a little bit more in-depth on some of the things that you've seen, because you're there, you're at these practices, you're at some of the games, and we're not. So I want to start with this, because there's been so much change, and we're trying to, I think, fully grasp what that actually means on the ice. And while it is the preseason, you can get at least some idea of what that is. So in terms of just the basics of what you've seen that's different from last season to this, if you can really ascertain anything, what is different? Other than the obvious, in terms of just what you're seeing in terms of practices, in terms of things of that nature. 
So yeah, practices have been much, much harder this season. He's having them work on those board battles. He's skating them pretty hard. And we've seen a decent amount of guys go down with some minor injuries, uh, Paul Maurice said. They're missing six forwards currently with Ryan Lomberg, Matthew Kachuk, Patrick Hornquist, Colin White, Nick Cousins, and Carter Verhage are all dealing with some minor injuries because of that. But he's getting them to play very physical. He wants them to get in the corners, win those puck battles, and play hard in every aspect of the game. And, I mean, compared to what they were going through last year, it's a bit of a adjustment period for them. So seems like they've had a few guys get some nicks and bruises there. From what... Um, from what Paul Maurice is saying, these guys won't be out long-term, and it seems like they're going to be good for opening day, but it just seems like um, it's a lot more harder on these guys in training camp right now. And just for the sake of reference, like practice last year, we talked about a lot of what that looked like, but to refresh people's memory, they're not doing you know, physical board battle drills as opposed to last year when they were doing really the opposite of that. It was a lot of flow drills, as Tommy would call it, and, and things of that nature. So that is a pretty big change. And when we judge Paul Maurice, and I'm going to get into this more, we're judging him on the things in practices and the things in games that they are going to need to do in the playoffs, which evidently they weren't doing a lot of last year. And they are starting to do it immediately, which is what Paul Maurice signed, was signed up for. Yeah, and admittedly, after that first home preseason game, he said that he's not necessarily judging them on how they play because he was working them so hard that they were kind of on the brink there during that game, and he was trying to see how the guys play with their when they're at their brink, where they're kind of out of gas almost. So during that first preseason game at home, it's not really the time to judge his system because everyone's still getting used to the intensity of it. But, yeah, you're you're watching the intensity of the practices, the way they play, the way the power play flows, that kind of thing. And it, it seems like it's something that will work better in the playoffs. And he already made the move with Brandon Montour going on the uh, as the power play quarterback for PP1. And the way he has that power play moving and cycling is a lot better than what it was with Andrew Burnett, where they had Ekblad as the quarterback, and they had a couple of other guys who passed the puck a little bit, but not too many shooters as well. But when you put Ekblad in that shooter spot, you have Montour in that quarterback spot where he can also shoot the puck. And then you have Kachuk and... Reinhardt, who are pretty versatile on the wing spots where they can either be a bumper guy or a net front guy. You kind of see that cycling in, and that's been pretty much the point of emphasis so far the last couple days. So that's why I'm kind of harping on it. That's where the Panthers' downfall was during the playoffs anyways. So you kind of see things like that in motion, and those are some places where they're going to be improved. I think one of the things that Paul Maurice has talked about a lot is he, he wanted to add. He, he made very clear that he wanted to add to their game, not take away. Because obviously when you're playing the way they played a year ago, you don't want to get rid of all of that. 
And I guess the question is, and it's impossible really to tell in preseason games where you're not really playing full-strength lineups. You've got split-squad games, and then the road preseason game they played basically an AHL team. But do you think that there is, from what little you have, like they're still playing in that same sort of basic way with the speed and the transition? Because you're not taking all of that away. Most of the players who are really good at that are still, are still there. So what does, you know, that balance you think actually look like, at least in what you've seen thus far and maybe perhaps what we're going to see with the final couple of preseason games? Yeah, I mean, the player I've seen most embody what Paul Maurice wants to do with this system and the guy that I really thought stuck out to me throughout camp and preseason is a guy like Rudolph Balsers. He was a guy that really won those battles in the corners a guy that got himself in the right position, won those battles in the front of the net, and he got a goal or two during the preseason so far. And he's really improving his shot, and it seems like a player that Paul Maurice is really adding to and not taking away from. Same thing with a Brandon Montour. He's really wanting Montour to be more confident with that shot, obviously using him on the power play, using his puck-moving abilities better, and I think he, he's even going to get more minutes as a top four pairing instead of the bottom the bottom pair so when you look at those two guys and what paul maurice is already trying to do with those two guys you can see that mindset be put into motion well i don't know if more brandon montour is a good thing we'll have to see that in practice that's another why hockey thing uh when it comes to brandon montour's defending I, i do need to see that in action but i think just in general because they played such a specific way last year, and it was obvious, you know, they dominated the puck. They were faster than everybody. And I don't think they're going to be getting rid of all of that. I, and again, I don't know whether you can tell from practices and some isolated preseason games. But it, I, our, last year, I think it was all of that all the time. And I think Paul Maurice's goal, and I wonder if you agree with this, is you don't want to get rid of that, but he wants to find a way to sure that they have another tool in their toolkit. Because when we saw last year when things got bad, the only thing they knew how to do was the thing they knew how to do. And eventually teams found a way to kind of stop that. So do you think that it's right now working on adding that other tool because they know that their habits from the last few years under a brunette Quenville system, they're not going to go away? Yeah, like, I can really see, and he's trying to push these guys hard so they have the energy to have a multifaceted game where one minute they can all be scoring these awesome goals, making the plays, playing a really, really fast transition game. But when the slow, like when the game slows down and it's all about winning those puck battles in the corner or winning your one-on-one battle on defense, they have the energy to go ahead and do that. They have the strength to go ahead and do that, and... I mean, I've seen that with Barkov improving as well. I mean, he came into camp a lot, looking a lot stronger than he did the previous season. And with that strength, he, he's become even better. So you, you see a guy like Barkov out there working hard, being able to compete in both of the facets of the game that Paul Maurice wants them to do. And I feel like the rest of the group would really follow suit there. Well, you would hope so. I mean, I have never seen Alexander Barkov as mad as he was after the Tampa series. He was pissed. I mean, everyone was, but he was more than anyone else mad. And that's, 
it gives you kind of an idea of, I guess, the motivation for particularly those who experienced that loss. And I think it would also translate pretty quickly to the newcomers as well. I want to get now to some of the individual players because there's a lot we could talk about with, with Paul Maurice and we'll get to it. But in terms of individual players, we're down to about 29-30 on the roster at this point. And it's interesting because of the cap situation. I don't know how many they're actually going to be able to carry because of the way LTI works and things of that nature. But where do you think, in terms of some players making the team that we may not have expected? Because I look at the guys that are still around, like Justin Sordiff's still around, Logan Hutzko's still around, um, uh, guys in the back end, Max Gilden's still around. It, those kinds of players that are younger, you know, we heard a lot about Paul Maurice and young players and how he wasn't really trusting them all that much. There are the vets that are still around. But where do you make of some of the guys that are still here and their chances of actually making the opening right roster pending the situation with the salary cap? Yeah, well, I think Paul Maurice did make it a point to keep around a couple of guys who were dealing with some injuries, and Hutzko was dealing with an injury a little bit. He couldn't get too much action, and Sordiff was dealing with two separate injuries, both coming out of the season and then he suffered another one during rookie camp so the Panthers didn't necessarily get the best of looks of sort of so they want to get a look at him this week before he goes down to Charlotte so those guys I think are still on the outside looking in they're getting a couple looks they want to get them experienced in an NHL camp before they go down but I mean, a guy that really could find himself clinging on to his seventh defenseman spot, I think, is Matt Kierstead. He's a guy that looks very much improved. He's winning those battles in the defensive zone. He's looking a little bit more confident in the offensive zone as well. And, I mean, he was playing in the Beauty League in the offseason in Minnesota against some legitimate NHL guys, getting some reps over there. And I think that's really helped him as well to just keep fresh. So... I think Matt Kierstead's a guy to look out. Other than that, I mean, I think Hapo Niemi might get that 13th forward spot, and Eric Stahl might also stick around. But other than that, I think the 12 forwards that everyone expected going into the season is probably going to be the 12 forwards that are out there on opening night. Well, the subtle, and maybe this is just, I think in some cases it might be wishful thinking from the people in the Panthers sphere, but... There's been a lot of talk about maybe Patrick Hornquist going on LTI to add, you know, just because of injuries. I think some of them think it's an LTI for the entire season, which I don't think is going to happen. But if some of these injuries are longer term, I wonder what that would mean. Say if Hornquist had to miss a couple of weeks for whatever reason, like what, what that might mean for some of the other guys around the roster, because I don't know how it works with the salary cap, the intricacies of it. They do, but we don't in terms of how many they can carry, because if my, my math is right, they might only be able to carry 18, like 20 guys opening night. They wouldn't be able to fit anybody else underneath it. So I'm wondering if some of these guys getting that chance might actually be, you know, injury hedging also in case one of these guys is out longer than they think. Yeah, like Paul Maurice wouldn't necessarily offer up if any of these guys are going to be out opening night. But you look at Patrick Hornquist. He was out there today wearing coach warm-ups, just lightly skating before practice. He, he wasn't necessarily doing of anything of high intensity out there. So 
it, that gives the impression that he's not necessarily close to being ready to be out there. But at the same time, Paul Maurice isn't offering out any information. So at the same time, you, you got to look at it like he, he – because Colin White and Carter Verhage were out there before practice doing a bit more of a higher intensity skate than Patrick Hornquist was. So that could give the impression that that isn't an option, but until until we hear more, I, I'm not 100% sure behind that. We are recording this before the roster deadline, which is Sunday when you have to be compliant for opening night. So at that point, we'll see. But it seems like it's possible that they go down that route, and in which case, if Hornquist is on LTI, you have other options for forwards. Then at that point, Eric Stahl is there. Um about that, I guess I should ask about Eric Stahl because you're seeing some people tweet about his performance. Do you think he, like, I think he's going to make the team. You know, I think they want to do the kind of Joe Thornton thing, but a more usable player, if that makes sense, because Thornton wasn't super useful last year. It was fun to see, but he wasn't really adding all that much to the team. But I think they think Eric Stahl might be, and I think depending on the situation with the cap and other injuries – Stahl might be able to much more easily make the team in that situation. Yeah, exactly. Like, when you when I'm watching Eric Stahl in the preseason, he was used on the penalty kill. He was very strong in the defensive zone. He, he He's a smart player. He makes really good reads back there. And, I mean, for his age and for his size, he's not that bad of a skater. So he's able to get back on defense. And he's a pretty big body that can be used in front of the net. He's still pretty strong for his age as well. So he's winning those battles in front, and I think that's what Paul Maurice really likes, what he's seen from him. So I think he's definitely an option there to make the team. I Again, it'll depend on how the, the salary cap situation works because it is a little bit tight at the moment, and unless we know more about the injuries, it's kind of hard to say. So let's talk about lines and, and combos because we haven't really seen anything definitive. It's preseason, of course not. But I want to get your sense of where this might be heading. Uh, in terms of lines, we've seen him put a lot together, and that's not a surprise. But if you had to give, let's say everybody is healthy, the 12 that we think are going to be healthy, let's get them, let's just say for argument's sake that that's who's playing against the Islanders. What do you think that forward group looks like? Where do the line combinations work? Because we're starting to see him play Matthew Kachuk and Alexander Barkov, which I've said on the show is something they should be doing a lot. It's kind of why you traded for Matthew Kachuk. Uh, we didn't see it early in the preseason. We're seeing it a little more now. Uh, where do you think we're going to be heading when it comes to opening night if everyone's healthy? He's really liked putting Lundell with um, Sasha Barkov here, and that's been a pairing I've seen reoccur throughout training camp and during the preseason as well. So for the sake of that, I think I'll use those pairings, but I can also see Rudolph's Balsers get the nod on that top line as well because he's a guy that's gotten a lot of chances on that first line. But that first line would be, in that case, Lundell, Barkov, Rahegi. Second line would be Kachuk, uh, Bennett, and Reinhardt. That would make a third line of the new guys, which would be... It would be a third line of the new guys, which would be Balsers, White, and Cousins. Or it would be a third line of Balsers, Losterinen, and 
white. And then the fourth line would be Lomberg, one of Losterine and, and uh, Cousins, and Hornquist on the right wing. Or if Hornquist isn't healthy, then you'd put an Eric Stahl there, or maybe a, a Hepiniemi, depending on who has the better end of camp. So I want to ask about the Lundell as a winger thing, because I'm going to make this very clear, and my co-host also agrees with me. I think Anton Lundell on the wing is stupid, and it's not something I want to see because he is your 2C of the future, and the only way to get him there is by playing him at second-line center. So I want to ask why that has happened with Paul Maurice. What does he see that, that would tell him that Barkoff and Lundell work together with Lundell on the wing? Because I don't understand it, and it's not something I'm in favor of. And I don't think it's something that a lot of people are in favor of, but I want to drill down on why it's happening and what he sees in it. Yeah, I mean, I agree on the defensive end of the game. You want want your best defensive players playing that center position where they're going against the top center and they're able to switch on to a winger if he needs to back there playing the slot. I think that's where Anton Lundell would be best. I'm not exactly sure if you'd want him to play that covering the point role, although with a player of his caliber on defense, playing that point role and being able to read the passes there and start breakouts from that position, especially on a line with Barkov, I think that's where it could really help. Where you got a guy that can jump on those passing lanes, read the pass, get the breakout started, and all of a sudden you get a, a 2 on 0 with Lundell and Barkov, where both guys have a pretty big offensive tool bag and be able to work a pass to one another, get one of them to shoot the puck there. I, I, I think just thinking of it schematically in that way, I think it gives them a lot of options there. And then you got the always speedy, always good shot, Carter Verhage on the other side of that line where it, it, it works. There, there are better options out there, but I think there, there's a method to his madness there. Even and, if I don't agree with it in any way. <laughs> yes. Because I, I really don't think that Lundell should be a winger at any point if your plan for him is to eventually replace Sam Bennett as the second center. And I think a lot of us hope that that's what will happen this season, that Bennett gets into more of a, you wouldn't say checking line role, but that Lundell eventually gains that offensive confidence to play that 2C role with whoever by the time the season's over. And that's what I want to see. And I don't think he can get there being a winger. Now, a Barkoff for Hagee Balser's situation, that I think could work. That I think would make a lot of sense because we know that Barkoff or Verhage play well and whoever you put up with them is going to get a ton of chances and is going to feed off of them well. But I'm not sure Lundell on the wing really accentuates the things that he needs to improve upon to be the player I think the Panthers want him to be. And... I just wonder how long it's going to last. I don't think it's going to last particularly long, and I hope it doesn't. But maybe it's also a Paul Maurice hedge because we've seen in the past that he sometimes delineates offensively and defensively between top six and bottom six, and maybe he doesn't want to put um, Lundell in a situation where he's asking him to do more defensively that would limit his offensive game, in which case I would say, Paul, you don't have to have that strict hierarchy. But... I just, I'm still going through that in my head and I still don't understand it. It doesn't make much sense to me. 
Yeah, I think maybe what he's trying to do is pair him with Barkov for a little bit to unlock that offensive confidence and have him focus on the offensive end from the wing and then eventually put him on that second line with Matthew Kachuk and Sam Reinhart. But, I mean, in my opinion, I'd just put him on that line with Kachuk and Reinhart and see how it works out, in my opinion. But, I mean, that's just me. You and I are on the same page. I would want, if you're going to have him be that offensively minded but still defensively responsible 2C, you have to play him there. You have to give him those assignments and tell him, go out and do it. You know, you can't train someone for a role by not putting him in that role, you know? And that's to me something that I, I, I was the only really big thing with the forwards that was odd, and I don't understand it. And also, when Duclair comes back, you're not going to keep Anton Lindell on the wing in, in replacing uh, Anthony Duclair. So that also doesn't really make sense from a long-term perspective, but we'll see what that ends up looking like. Defensively, looks like Ekblad and Forsling are going to play together, which is what should happen. Uh, they're obviously the two best defensemen. And then after that, what do we see? You're, you, the indication that you're giving me is that Montour is going to be second pair, which makes sense. Is it likely that he's playing with Gudis? Because that's what I've assumed all offseason. That's giving him and Gudis together and then Carlson, Stahl, and whoever's the seventh defenseman is. But what do you it think about It looks like that? it's going to be Carlson, Montour, and then Stahl, Gudis. Now, that would be interesting because we have talked about Carlson. We want him to kind of be on the Forsling track, right? You know what I mean? And him growing into a possible second-pairing role is interesting. I just don't know if it works because of Montour's uh, defensive raggedness, I think is the best way I'm trying. I'm trying to be uh, judicious here. Uh, In a Montour-Carlson pairing, what do they see in that? Because I like the idea of Carlson being a second-pairing defenseman. But I don't know how it works with Brandon Montour, considering what Montour does on most of his shifts. I mean, Carlson was paired with Montour pretty much his entire 40-game tenure last year with the Panthers. And it worked out to an extent. I mean, Montour is a, I mean, Carlson's a pretty fair two-way defenseman. He's a pretty good skater. So he's able to get back there if any Montour gap happens. So I, I feel like the way these two players skate, the way they're able to make things happen in the offensive zone, I, I think they're a really good pairing for what the Panthers tried to do. And with what Paul Maurice is trying to get them to do during training camp to be able to be responsible on both ends of the ice, I think eventually both players can develop a very strong two-way game and being two strong skaters that can help in the transition game, I, I, I think it can work. I'm not sure Montour can be that. Lucas Carlson, on the other hand, I think that that is possible. But I, I thought for the longest time that they were going to pair one up with each of the more, quote-unquote, responsible defensemen to allow them to do more of the offensive things and to let Radko Gudis do what Radko Gudis always does and let Mark Stahl do what Mark Stahl does. But I can understand it. Like, as we've said, we want Lucas Carlson to perhaps be that guy that plays up, which elevates the overall tenor of that defense score which is very thin behind the top pairing i just i just figure that at some point they're gonna go back to montour and gudas because they played a lot together and i just wonder if lucas carlson at this point is ready for that i hope he is but i don't know for sure and it's these kind of questions that you know 
the bottom of the lineup questions, they do matter because it's on the margins is where the Panthers have to improve. And particularly when you don't have Mackenzie Weger there, everybody may have to play above, you know, above water, so to speak. Yeah, and I think also the problem with going Montour Gudis is the fact that their 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 depth on the right side of defense is not that deep. I mean, when you go past Montour and Gudis, the the rest of that young crop of defensemen they have is pretty much all left-handed. And the guy they had on that top hierarchy of young defensemen, Chase Prisky, he's gone now. So you're looking at even Michael Delzato's left-handed, Anthony Batetto's left-handed. So oh, I don't want to see them playing NHL games at any point, but that's another discussion. That is another discussion. But, I mean, when you're looking through all the defensemen the Panthers have, most of those guys that you'd want to see playing NHL games are, are left-handed. So I think it just boils down to that. I mean, if they make any change, it probably would have to be Stahl playing with Montour and Carlson playing with Gudis. Interesting. What about some of the other guys? You know, obviously, if you listen to Y Hockey, you know that any young Finnish or Swedish player is going to catch the attention of the both of us. Uh, in terms of guys like Kanunen and, and Shalin, these are these are players that Tommy wanted to focus on, and somebody else. You know, we talked about Heponiemi a little bit. Anton Levchi, of course, who led the league in scoring. All of them went to the AHL. That doesn't really surprise me. In many cases, it's their first time playing in North America. But I think that again, and we've talked a lot about the upside potential that exists in players like this as opposed to your Chris Tierney's and your Delzato's and Vitetto's of the world that don't really have upside at this point. You know what they are. So those guys all went to Charlotte earlier than I think some of us may have expected. I don't think I'm that surprised by it. But in terms of those guys, they, they signed them not just for the future but also now. So what, are you, were you surprised that they didn't get the best of looks when it was – you know, they were playing on a, a stronger group because obviously some of them had played when they were playing a deliberate AHL roster against the Hurricanes in the second time around. But what do you think about those guys? Well, I, I liked what I saw from Kanunin to start. I mean, he looks like a guy that could be a potential power play quarterback in the future. He's a very swift skater. He's good with the cycle game. I like the way he passes the puck. So Kanunin, I think once he gets adjusted to the North American game, I think he really could be a good option. And, I mean, Anton Levchi, I mean, from what we saw from him, he was a good passer, but he, he really did struggle in some areas there as far as winning those puck battles and just adjusting to North American eyes. And giving him some AHL games, I think, would be good for him. And, I mean, I, I, I think that's the story for a lot of these guys. I mean, when you, when you look at the guys they have and the guys they brought in as far as Balsers or Mark Stahl or Nick Cousins, Colin White, I mean, they those were the guys they expected to make the roster. And adding these depth guys like Anton Levshi, Kale, uh, Kale Salin, these guys were always supposed to be starting in the AHL to get their legs underneath them because, I mean, making the adjustment from North America or from Europe to North America, I'm sorry, is a, a bit of a rough time. So I think at least giving them a month or so in the AHL to adjust and then given if an injury happens somewhere or maybe someone isn't underperforming and these guys are lighting it up in the AHL, it's something they can revisit. It's the first time since 2019 that they actually have a full AHL team because the last two years they did not have that. 
And so in many ways, we don't actually know what their development model under Bill Zito looks like because he came in in the midst of a situation where their AHL affiliates shut down in the COVID short year of 2021. And then last year they shared it with the Kraken. So you didn't get the full look at some of these guys and perhaps some of them fill out AHL rosters entirely, but I don't know. I, you would want to see, particularly Levchi, you're not signing him because you're thinking he's going to play in the AHL the whole season. That that's the others. Maybe you get them more development, but Levchi's somebody who I think they hope can translate pretty quickly. At least you would think so. He's 26 and he was the leading scorer in one of the best leagues in Europe. One other player I wanted to ask about is uh, Gregory Denisenko. He was also down with that first group. When he's had his NHL cameos, he hasn't shown a ton. We're reaching the point where I think we have to start wondering if it's going to actually work out at all for him. And I want to hear about your thoughts about him because if they have continued issues defensively, just needing, again, you said a right shot defenseman. Denisenko's the kind of guy who's drafted in the first round, has the skill, perhaps as somebody who could be traded if it's not going to work out here for somebody like that. So about Denisenko, where do you think he falls in? Because I think a lot of us figured by this point he'd be an NHL regular. Yeah, I mean, I guess it said a lot that Hefoniemi got the nod over him. I mean, although it also has to do with Hefoniemi, not having to or half of the Emmy having to go through waivers and Dennis Anko not having to go through waivers. But I was pretty unimpressed with Dennis Anko throughout the preseason, honestly. He he coughed up the puck a lot. He he missed on his chances and I I do think it's kinda wrapping up here with his time in Florida. I mean he he's had a lot of opportunities to impress and every time he's kind of gotten laughed by someone like Heponiemi was on Heponiemi was the one on the roster for the majority of that stretch run and I mean I understand he is coming off of a pretty bad injury there in Charlotte but I mean you got to look at his body of work and although he, he was coming off of a pretty good AHL season he, he just did not have a good camp and Maybe he has a good start to the AHL season and they have a spot where they need him and he gets a chance to prove himself again, but it, it just wasn't a great camp for Dennis Because even the injured guys sticking around, I wouldn't have thought that they'd be ahead of Dennis necessarily in the pecking order, and that's it's interesting. I wonder if when we get to roster cutdowns, you sometimes see trades. I wonder if that might be something they'd consider if they're really worried about that right shot day. Uh, because it's just I don't think it's going to work out, and there's a lot of issues from when they drafted him to now that have stunted his development. So as we circle this back to something a little bit more centered on just the overall discussion, what are you looking for in the first, as we're about a week away now from the start of the season? Tommy and I have said that we think that the start of the year could be a little rocky because they are adjusting to a new coach, so many new players. The changes you know, it's pretty stark as compared to last year when they really only added Sam Reinhardt. Everything else was returned and almost exactly the same. So I'm wondering what you think that's going to be like. Just the start of the season, whether you expect it to, in my view, I think it could be very choppy at times. And I wouldn't be shocked if they have a middling-ish record through the month of October as they try to figure things out. What about you? Yeah, I mean, the thing with the Panthers' start to the season is that they do, they do have a couple easy breaks there. I mean, they're they're starting the season with an Islanders team that's also adjusting to a new system, albeit they're re- returning a lot of the same pieces, and Lane Lambert was there for Barry Trotz, and 
it seems like Lambert also will be kind of making it a little bit of a less of a grind on the Islanders and letting them play a bit more freely, which should have a more of a positive impact near the start of the season where it's not necessarily as much of a grind for them as it was in the past. And they also see the Philadelphia Flyers there pretty early. They're facing the Calgary team pretty early. That's also adjusting to a pretty different roster. They play Buffalo early. So I think at the same time, they also play uh, Boston pretty early, I want to say, before I got to my point, where they're also dealing with a few guys getting injured and new head coach. So when you look at the teams they're playing early on in the season – I think it will allow for them to have an easier time adjusting, and there there are some winnable games they can they have there while they're adjusting, but their record ultimately depends on if these guys that are injured right now because of what are going through camp are going to be fully healthy for that. But if they if they have a fully healthy roster going into the start of the season, and they're playing some of these teams that are dealing with let's say injuries in Boston or you got your Buffalo and your Philadelphia game. You got the Islanders who are adjusting to a new system. I think they'll be fine in October. They've got the Islanders twice. They've got the Flyers twice. They play Chicago. Like you would think that they should be winning a lot of these games, but when you are adjusting uh, to a new coach, a lot of new players and you're being asked to do different things than you had been doing before, I just wonder if this thing gets a little rocky. And then once the month of October starts, they have their California West, West-like West road trip where you go to Arizona and you go to the California teams. And that's always a tough road trip, even you know if some of those teams on that trip are bad. And I think three of them arguably are bad. But you have to do that early in the season, and that's tough. Usually they'll get that later in the year. Last year they didn't have it until March. Uh, and just overall, as we... I've said where I think this Panthers team is, and there's not a lot that's going to change that, which is I think this team's third in the Atlantic. I think that it'll be a, a bit of a rocky start as they try to figure things out, but they're too talented to let it drag them down for very long, and I think this team's still comfortably a playoff team when it's all said and done. I'm assuming that's where you think. Maybe you think they're higher in the Atlantic standings, but I don't think that's really at this point particularly relevant because everything now is focused on the playoffs. But in terms of this regular season, uh, where do you think – this whole thing ends up. I think the Panthers end up finishing second in the Atlantic. I think the Lightning will win the division, and I'm just not sold on Toronto's goaltending tandem. So that's why I have them slated as third, although they are the, the most healthy team up front uh, out of the three because Tampa's missing Anthony Sorelli, and they also lost Andre Palat, and they lost Ryan McDonough. But, I mean, as long as Andre Vasilevsky's healthy and they have a few guys at their core, I think they're going to be fine. I Toronto, still, I, still I mean, they're dealing... I think Toronto's going to outscore goaltending issues. They did it last year. I think they're going to do it again, personally. But, I mean, you're looking at their goaltending now compared to what it was when, uh, you're, when you're looking at Jack Campbell. I think that it's a, a very rocky goaltending tandem between um, Samsonov and Murray. And I, I don't really trust either of them to really be able to string together a, a very good stretch of games where he can win games in spite of a, a bad day from the offense. So I think that's why I'd have them in third. I can't say it. They, they had almost as many points as Florida did last year with arguably worse goaltending. 
I was not a fan of their goaltending last year, and I'm not a fan of their goaltending this year. But as the Leafs proved, and many teams proved, you can outscore your goaltending issues if you have that. And it's really funny how, as, as we do start to wrap this up, for real this time, I know I say that a lot, that we haven't talked very much about the goaltending for the Panthers because I don't think there really is that much to talk about goaltending-wise with the Panthers right now. I don't think that they know entirely how it's going to break down yet. Um, obviously, Spencer Knight has the contract, and we talked about the issues with that and the pros and cons of that on our last show. But in terms of the goaltending, uh, I don't think there's really any question as to how they're going to deploy them opening night, obviously. I think Bobrovsky's going to start, and he's going to get more starts of the year. They tried to do two-on-one-off last year, and it never really got into that sort of rhythm. But where do you think it is going to be in terms of deploying them this year? Because we've heard Paul Maurice already mentioned that Rob Tallis, Roberto Luongo, they're going to try to set these things up so that everybody gets playing time. But it's kind of interesting how we don't really have to talk all that much about Panthers goaltending right now because it's pretty set. It's just a matter of how many games each of them plays. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, whoever is playing the best will get time, but Bobrovsky starts the year. And if Bobrovsky tends to taper off a little bit like he did his first two years, Spencer Knight is going to be there as a security blanket, and he'll be able to string some starts together like he did last year when... So Sergei Bobrovsky got sick, and Spencer Knight had that long strip, uh, string of starts in March. He was able to put up some pretty elite numbers. So I think no matter what happens, they're going to have a pretty darn good goaltender in the crease. And, I mean, if both goaltenders are on their game, I can see the 2-1 to one ratio going on. 2-1 on for Bobrovsky, 1-off, and then Knight in. But, I mean, it just depends on how each of them play because – there could be a situation where Bobrovsky dips back to his production from his first two years, and all of a sudden it's nighttime. But we'll have to see when the games start. Do you think they have an ideal formula for it yet, or is it something that they're just going to try to feel out? I think they'll have to feel it out. I mean, we'll have to see when the season starts. Because they're still going through. You have to see a goalie play an entire game there to kind of get their legs underneath them. Like, I was reading... Something from one of my colleagues over at the Islanders website of National Hockey Now, Stefan Rosner. Shout out to him. But he was talking with Semyon Verlarmov, and he said before he before he knows that he's fit for the season, he has to play a full game. And you've seen that happen with Bobrovsky and Knight both once. So I think this Tampa set will really show who's ready for the season and who's not. Honestly, Bobrovsky will probably get the opening night start either way. But I think before we go into anything, we really need to see how both of them play during that set. And then we'll have to have the conversation again towards the start of the season, see who's starting, and then see where the ratio goes from there. I think that we've covered just about everything, Colby. I hope this uh, first Y-Hockey appearance wasn't too difficult for you. Remind everyone where they could follow you on the uh, interwebs. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Colby D. Guy. And as always, uh, you can find my work at FloridaHockeyNow.com. Also, some occasional pieces in the Palm Beach Post. So be sure to be on the lookout there as well. I've seen you covering high school football as well. It's a, that's a trait. It is a trait. I, I, I have fun with it. It's, 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 a fun, it's a fun thing. The kids enjoy it. Uh, it's, it's a good way to spend the time. How old are you again? The kids enjoy, kids enjoy high school football? I am tw- I I turned 21 before the season starts. All right then.
Anyway, we'll be having you back on at some point here in season, I know that. Thanks again for hopping on. Thanks for having me, man.